Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. I'm the other guy. And we have with us John Shebby, who is the team lead for ZOS Unix support. Hey, how's it going, John? Good, Frank, and happy to be part of your show today. Cool. So let's start with the, with the easy one. What does it mean to be in ZOS Unix support? So on ZOS Unix support, you know, we get to solve problems on a daily basis. And, you know, we have development that writes the code and testers that test the code and try to catch a lot of problems before they hit the field. But unfortunately, right, problems get out in the field and we're the lucky ones that get to work, right, and solve the problems at any day, hour of the week. So are you uh, like level two, level three support? Or? Oh, these days we call ourselves uh, support, right? Not levels. You know, we, we had the whole OC2 one-click, one-call initiative, right? So we no longer have level one, level two, level three type of things, right? So we in support, you know, work collectively to uh, diagnose the problems. And, you know, so we just refer to ourselves as ZOS Unix support. Oh, I, did, I didn't realize that. So now um, I call in because I have a, a problem with um, the LS command isn't working right and, and it gets right to you now? or mm -hmm. Yep, it will come right to us. And we have, you know, worldwide support too these days, right? So, you know, we have, you know, support people on all the different geos, North America, EMEA Europe, and also Asia Pacific. We all work together collectively, uh, you know, to support each of the different products. In my case, uh, ZOS Unix. So, so how does this work then? Is there, um, do you have a, a person in, say, EMEA that's that does the exact same stuff as you, or or does it funnel this way? How, how does that work? Yep. So in the olden days, right, it used to be more like you know the the stuff would basically flow you know to North America, right? But now we have you know subject matter experts on each of our teams, right, from the various geos. So you know we basically have somebody sitting working these views, right, the the queues basically, you know, twenty four by five. So you know and we're basically, let's say, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern time. Then the AP region starts covering the queues, let's say, at 7 p.m. until about 2 or 3 a.m., right, Eastern time. When then somebody from EMEA gets on, works their normal hours, right, and they basically, we have some overlap, right, because then the U.S. comes in at 8 a.m. Eastern. EMEA basically finishes up at about 11 a.m. or noon Eastern time. So we basically have continuous coverage until we get to the weekends, and then we have duty programmer coverage. So this is interesting because, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, so <laughs> I'm still thinking the old model. I'm, what, what did it take to go from that old level one, level two, level three to what you guys do today? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of training involved. And we still, and, you know, when, when a call initially comes in, right, so a lot of calls get directly routed to our support teams, right? We do have a ZOS software support assist, which we internally refer to as ZSSA. So if somebody comes in, with a generic component ID, they're not sure where it goes, right? The ZSSA team has a chance to look, right? And, you know, if, if they have an inclination where to queue it to, they'll send it there. Otherwise, we have a PSI team, right? Problem Source Identification Team that can try to get it to the right component team. But, you know, in most cases, the customers can queue directly into us. And, you know, as you can imagine, right, because we used to have, especially in the other geos, right, we had a lot of, we'll say, front office support teams, right? So they would do a cursory look, maybe send it to the back end teams, and then they get funneled over to us. But now, you know, we have people that were doing those roles, right, with this OC2 one-click, one-call thing. I believe that goes back to 2018. So there's a lot of training 
right, that had to be done, right, to get everybody up to speed and, you know, get them that knowledge. And, you know, it, it's, it's an evolving, evolving thing. So you've been doing the support thing for quite some time, though, right? Almost a quarter century. I'll be 25 years next year. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. So were you a, a major player in, in ensuring that the rest of the, the, the different regions had your background? Or how did that work? With the skills, the background of skills. Yeah. yeah, I was certainly, I was part of the core team and I'm also, you know, heavily involved in the education space, right? You know, we have, you know, diagnostic workshops that we teach, right? You know, PK100 ZOS diagnostic workshops that we teach actually internally, right? To, you know, to a lot of our support people internally. And we even teach that same stuff to customers. So do, do a lot of customers do a, a lot of that triage for you now or? Some customers, you know, do more than others, but I will say, Frank, you know, something that I do like to see is to support people, you know, like IPCS education, oh, even these days, right, there still seems to be a lot of demand for it. I know over the years, you know, customers are occasionally come in and say, hey, do you have any IPCS education? I know, you know, we work with Christy Schroeder internally and, you know, help put together a debug academy, right, through the ZOS Academy. And, when, you know, there are hundreds of people that attended that. So, you know, that stuff obviously helps. Same thing at Share. We try to, you know, teach customers about suing some of the debug and that triage to at least help get the problem routed to the right component. Because with, you know, with a little bit of debug and preliminary looking at the dump can go a long way to help get that problem routed either to IBM, you know, the proper component or even to the, you know, to the to a vendor or maybe their own application. So it definitely helps. Sure. It's re problem resolution happens faster. Oh, you yeah. know what the problem is. And then even, even when you're working with the customer, too, if you have a little bit of that preliminary understanding of how to look at a dump, then when we're explaining what we find, you even have a better understanding on both sides, too, of, of what the findings mean when we document them. I want to go back to this um, this transformation that took place because uh, I'm I'm still fascinated by this. Uh, on, on a whole, did that require more people to learn more about I guess what their coworkers were working on and what their areas of expertise are, or is it more about being connected and knowing, you know, what other people they can route uh, well, these calls to? So I think traditionally, for example, with the other geos, right, you had a lot of these front office people that I'll say had very good, you know, PSI, right, generalist skills, right, not necessarily having deep component knowledge in any one specific component, right? So you're mm -hmm. taking people, for example, with those backgrounds, and now we're training, you know, these people to get deep, right? Deep component expertise in, you know, say one or, you know, one or a couple different components, right? So it's kind of a change, you know, and, and you know, so whereas before, maybe you would hand it off, right, to somebody in the component. Now we're trying to, you know, everybody's basically, we're empowering everybody to be able to keep working on that call and, you know, continue working on it to resolution, which again, is going to require a more deeper skill, right, in specific components than, than maybe having the general skill in, in many different components. And, so, and your area specifically, Unix, because everything now revolves around Unix. Is that, um, <laughs> is that more work for you or, or how, how does that work out? Well, we definitely get, yeah, a lot of stuff, like you said, is based on, you know, a lot of workload does run on ZOS Unix these days, right? And, you know, of course, ZOS Unix is actually part of the, you know, BCP, base control program of the operating system. So um, we definitely get, even if, you know, we definitely have to do a lot of assisting, right, for, for different products because so many products interface with, with ZOS Unix. Right. Um, but it's, I mean, for me, I think it's one of the, it's one of my favorite 
products because in order to do well in ZOS Unix, I always like to, you know, you have to understand a lot about the application and exploiters of ZOS Unix while at the same time, because we're part of the BCP, right, the base operating system, you also have to understand a lot about the different inter interfaces and how the underlying operating system works. So I think it's a very well-rounded uh, uh, component area to work with. Do you, you, know, you, you said a couple of things there that piqued my interest. Um, when, when I call in with a problem, mm -hmm. I connect to someone, and does that person own that problem through the entire lifespan of it? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, something we've always strived not to do is, you know, bounce. When we get a case, right, you always need somebody to drive that case, right? And, you know, with the whole one-click, one-call, and even before that, right, we've always strived to have, you know, that you know, one person own it as much as possible, right? But sometimes you get, you know, you, you drive it and you determine with pretty, you know, certainty that the problem's in another specific component. And at that point, we would, you know, ultimately turn it over to that person to continue driving it. But if we're not sure or if it's involving multiple components, right, we'll hold on to it and keep, you know, retaining that ownership, right, until we're sure where it belongs. Does that happen a lot in, in ZOS Unix? Uh, because it seems to me that um, because you touch so many different things, that, that everybody's got fingers in your stuff or vice versa. Yep. Yep. So yeah, it, it's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that with, with Unix, you know, with, you know, I mean, I'll say we have our fair share of, of problems and APARs, <laughs> right. but, but sometimes, you know, it, it is a matter of finding, you know, which component um, the problem or the defect really belongs to. You know, in my experience, a lot of uh, customers are still having issues getting sysprogs to understand uh, Unix on, on ZOS. Do you see that as a declining problem, or, or is that still uh, very prevalent? With people being, you know, not necessarily being comfortable with Unix? Right. I can't say I've seen a lot of change in that, you know, recently. I mean, you know, there, usually customers have at least one or, you know, a couple people that understand, you know, the Unix side of the house. Okay. But, you know, I, I don't think people are as comfortable still, you know, with Unix as they are with, you know, the rest of the operating system, perhaps. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because that's one of the things that that I still see when I go out um, and work with with different businesses. There, a group of people who really understand Unix, a group of people who really understand traditional ZOS, but getting people who can do both still seems to be challenging. Understand? Yeah. So, um, so this is pretty cool. I, I mean, I, I like the fact that um, that things seem to be a little bit more consolidated than they were before, right? Um, the ability to, to kind of be connected. What, um, what would you say is the, the biggest thing that you've noticed since this change has happened? The biggest uh, difference I've noticed? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, we've always collaborated over the years, but, um, you know, I, I can say some positive things about this, you know, some changes, you know, because when, when you have the deeper skill in the different geos, because unfortunately, right, you know, <laughs> you have, we still have problems and some problems can be SEV1 or critical problems that can, you know, where you're working around the clock, right? And because you know, we always have to, you know, get the customers up and working again and find root cause, right, to prevent the problem from happening again. Uh, but when we, you know, when we're able to build this deeper skill, right, in the different geos, then it's even easier 
you know, instead of having one person, you know, right. work through the night, you have more, okay. I mean, we, we, we never, we're never in a situation where, okay, my shift is over. I'm going to hand it over. Right. <laughs> we don't do that. Right. Right. You know, we'll stay engaged as long as we need, but when you have that deeper skill in the different component areas, then you can essentially transition more, right. And have another geo continue working. You go get hopefully a few hours of sleep, sleep. and then you re-engage. <laughs> so, so that's a, I'd say a very welcome chain or, you know, a very positive thing. Right. I think that comes out of this. Right. So there's. Yeah. that It seemed to me that that would make it, uh, make it a lot um, more straightforward uh, because I've got a bunch of different eyes looking at the same problem. Yes. Um, with, with commensurate or close to commensurate <laughs> level of skill. So how long did it take to build up the ZOS Unix skills worldwide? I, yeah, probably a good couple years, right? You know, and, and we're still training, right? We still have new people, which is great. You know, we've had new people coming in, you know, continuing to come in and hire into the job. So it's almost really, really a continuous effort trying to, you know, to bring people up and to, to mentor newer folks. But I, I'd say it takes a good, took a good year or two to, you know, get some of the current people, um, you know, up up to speed with right. with this. Because as you know, it's it's so, you know, deep and, and complex. It's it, it, It's something that takes a lot of, experience. You, know, you, you can educate people all you want, right? But <laughs> but stuff is not ultimately going to sink in until you have, you know, those, those years of experience and, and working the various different types of problems. So so when you started to do this, what, what did it take to get, uh, say, uh, I've, I've got a new person, let's say an EMEA, and you're trying to, to um, work problems did you did you work problems with them until you felt comfortable that they were uh, that they were ready to do this? I mean, how did how did that? Did you end up working like um, different shifts with them because you've been doing this, like you said, for for like almost a million years? So, <laughs> um, what what did it take? I mean, you can read stuff in a book or you can be taught it, but but it's actually dealing with the problems directly with a customer right there learning what questions to ask, learning what questions not to ask, you know, what did you, did you have to do it alongside them for all that time? How did that work? Yeah, there's a lot of shadowing. So, I mean, like, you know, the first thing we have to do is make sure they have the core, I'll say, you know, our PK 101 that I mentioned, which is basically your core ZOS debug, right? You know, because that's something that everybody has to understand how to look at RBs and linkage stacks and, you know, chronological flow under a task, the system trace, right? All the tools that you use for any, base operating system component. And then we have all the Unix internals, right? ZOS Unix internals. And then you basically, you know, what I always like to do with mentoring is, you know, have somebody, you know, you, you bring up a dump and, <laughs> you know, you, you have somebody shadow you for a while. And then you just basically have, you know, the way, the way I learned was you get a dump, you get a nab end, you look at the code, you figure it out. And, you know, you basically build your experience over time, kind of working from the inside out, right? So I think there's a lot of shadowing with people. And, you know, then you basically can say, okay, now you go back and do this, or you have another dump. And, okay, what we just went through together in this case, see how far you can get, right? right? And kind of an iterative thing, right? With uh, Okay, so you, you had like kind of, here's a set of problems, go figure them out and I'll help you with them. Um, and you did that before you even got on the phone with a, with a customer. Yeah, because a lot, a lot, I mean, it is a lot more electronic these days, right, than, than maybe it used to be. I've always been personally a pick up the phone kind of guy, right? I, I always find it so much faster right. when, you know, when you're working with people instead of going back and forth 10 times, you know, just pick it up, have that dialogue back and forth, and 
it's a lot faster. But but these days, a lot of it is more electronic, right? Obviously, for Sevlons, are critical problems you want to get on the phone. But um, but yeah, there's 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 a lot of opportunity to look at dumps, and you don't even have to necessarily talk to a customer. And we help, of course, with you know writing the updates to the customer, how to structure that stuff. Um, cool. So you you've you've talked a little bit about tools. You mentioned. IPCS. What does IPCS stand for? Interactive Problem Control System, I believe, right? Wow. Which is all old green screen type of stuff, right? It, it really, really is. I have not a facility, though. And I was thinking that, too. We, we missed an opportunity, right? So I, I remember IPCS being, um, how do I put this, um, arcane. Archaic, I'd say, too. Yes, very. Right. So it's very cryptic. And, you know, I mean, if you have a crazy memory like I do and a lot of us do, and you've been doing this stuff for so long, you can whip out commands left and right. Right. But it's not so intuitive. Right. When you, Especially when you have somebody coming out of college that's right. used to Java and GUI and websites and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, for example, one of the things that we are working with internally, right, is, you know, we have a team of technical people that's uh, work, you know, working on projects like trying to make IPCS green screen into web-based IPCS, right? So, um, and, and, and basically with that, you're seeing, you know, I always like to say a picture is worth a thousand words, right? right? So this is basically taking your classic green screen, that's green basically, or whatever color you want, <laughs> right? And making, you know, making displays, you know, things more visually helpful and appealing and you have a lot of opportunity, too, where, you know, if we're working with, you know, let's say working in, in a dump and we can record our commands. So when somebody new comes in, you can kind of see here's all the commands this person went through. Right. And then you could even get into command prediction type of stuff. Hey, for this type of problem, maybe you want to, you know, issue these commands or look at these types of displays. So is that AI or is that? There actually is an AI component to it. Again, this is all stuff that we're exploring internally, AI machine learning, you know, trying to, again, predict uh, what commands might be helpful. So there's an aspect uh, to that as well. So that's kind of interesting. In, in, the, in the future, we won't need you. We'll just use the AI and be done. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. So because so, that's the other thing, too, because, you know, a lot of our job is, and I, as, as I know you've heard before, right? We like to look at dumps, right? That's our <laughs> right. that's our favorite thing to look at every day, right? <laughs> but there's only so much information you can get from a dump, right? And you know, sometimes in the end, when you get quick and efficient with it, you might just spend you know minutes or an hour or so looking at a dump. But a lot of the time, right, that we're spending is okay. Once you look at a dump, you understand why the problem happened, right? <laughs> right? Then you got to get into okay. Now I can explain the advent of the problem, but how did this thing get corrupted? How did this get unserialized, right? It's spending hours and days and, you know, potentially weeks, right? Analyzing code flows and looking at the dump and traces, trying to get empirical evidence to support what you're seeing in the code or your hypothesis. So that's, it can save you time, no <laughs> doubt, but. but Yeah, how, well, are you, how are you adapting to, uh, it sounds like the model for um, container-based solutions on, on ZOS would kind of, present a new type of pattern. So I'm, I'm curious how you're educating yourselves and maybe customers or clients on, on how to how to work support with something like that, like ZCX specifically. Yep. I know we have a, a separate support team, you know, that that handles the container extension ZCX stuff. But, you know, we are we are preparing ourselves, you know, for native containers, ZOS native containers, which I guess is the next thing, right, right. That that's coming. And, and uh, that's... 
it's going to be interesting times. With, with <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the trying to figure out is it is it us? Is it something in the container? Is it? Uh, it becomes a little bit more esoteric, and I I would assume already um, because of the fact that things have become more intertwined over time, that figuring out, hey, it's that thing that happened three weeks ago that that made this this started to pollute this one space that has caused this problem today. I mean, how do you guys attack those, you know, hey, it, it wasn't anything that happened today or, or even, um, you know, this week. It's something that happened some time ago. That caused the problem now. Yeah. Yeah, they're always, those are always hard to <laughs> hard to try and track down, right? I mean, it's it's or maybe you see that okay, you're getting into latch contention now because something happened two and a half days ago where the latch right. was held, you know, and then that's where you have to kind of go back to things, historical data like you know syslog or log rec data, and you know trying to look for a clue because you're usually not going to have a trace that goes back that far. Right, <laughs> right. The, the dump is is great at showing me what happened just Point now. Point time, yeah. <laughs> It's this older stuff that that's kind of cool. Uh, you mentioned that that you're um, you're kind of looking at a, a very new uh, IPCS. Um, what else is going on? What what's on the what's on the horizon for for customers to be able to to help debug some of their stuff? Yep. So there's the web IPCS, and I'll just say for that too. You know, if any customers are interested. Right, and learning more about that space, or maybe be you know being involved in a proof of concept or a pilot, you know, please reach out, and we're happy to have further conversations. Uh, another thing, you know, I'll say in the newer space is, you know, hopefully by now, <laughs> a lot of customers are running ZOSMF, right, because that's going to help with, well, among other things, right, the simplification of you know setting things up in ZOS, right. But there's also an existing feature that you know some may or may not be aware of called ZOSMF Incident Log. Right, so when you have an ab end or a dump gets created, right, you get an incident created in ZOSMF that has like that dump. You have the syslog, I believe, for some period of time, and also the error or log rec data, right, giving you the again history of syslog messages and and errors or ab ends. And today, right, when a customer has that, they have to then go basically in CSP, actually a cognitive support platform. By the way, we're we no longer work problems and retain. We use this web-based CSP Salesforce under the cover tool, right? Mm -hmm. So when they have one of these incidents in ZOSMF, they have to go out to the community, open up a case, no longer a PMR. We call them cases these days. Mm -hmm. They have to go open up a case, then go on the incident log, right? And say, okay, here's the case number to put this doc to, right? So you kind of have to swivel chair, right? To the, right. you have to open up the case. So, one of the things that we're working on now, too, is an enhancement to the incident log where, guess, think about the case where you have a critical problem, right? And you want somebody as quickly as possible. You want to get the case opened, right? You want to get the doc sent out. So one of these enhancements we're working with now is in the incident log itself, having a button where you can say, click the button and have it open up a case for you and get that doc transmitted all with a single click or two, rather than having to spend the time and go open the case so that's something, again, trying to expedite. Um, and, and same thing with the web IPCS. In addition to the IPCS GUI stuff, we're also exploring you know, the possibility of using that for remote dump connections, right? So when you have a SEV1 and a critical problem, 
having the ability to immediately log on to their system. Today, we have WebEx, right? right? But WebEx has a lot of limitations compared to to something in this space. Right, right. Now, for that, for that, for remote uh, log or log and dump uh, reconnaissance, mm-hmm. I guess, is there intelligence on the client side that doesn't require like the full volume of data to be sent back and forth or follow up? It, our internet speeds the point where that it's not really as much of a concern anymore. Well, with with Doc being sent, right? So I mean, we you know most customers hopefully you know with sending Doc, we have the tool. You know, you may have heard it: ZOS problem documentation upload utility PDUU, which basically sends large dumps, like standalone dumps, right? Because that's always been a sticking point. Is geez, I get this you know humongous <laughs> multi-volume standalone dump. How do I get that to you quickly? So PDUU basically sends breaks up the dumps into parallel, you know, into multiple pieces, terraces them and sends them in parallel, right? So, you know, so that helps with the speed of the transmission. But when we, again, when we have one of these critical things, if we can get on remotely, right, and we can run, you know, some of our tools and, and, and commands, you know, we could potentially save time or maybe even negate the need to even have to send that standalone dump in the first place, right? Depending on what we find. So so this is interesting. You, you can actually log on to their system with with your tools? Well, that's what we're trying to, right? Basically, you know, using, you know, this this web IPCS thing, for example, is going to use like the, the, the REST APIs under the covers to go through a TSO session and basically issue IPCS commands, oh, okay. right, against the dump on their system. That's the idea. You know, with WebEx today, though, you know, we can get on with the customer, have them share the screen, right? And we can have them issue specific commands and see the output. Or we even have the ability, you know, I've used where we can actually take mouse and keyboard control for that specific TSO session, <laughs> not for the end. Really? Yeah, <laughs> that sounded really cool for a second. <laughs> so, that, that, but that's pretty cool. I mean, um, I know it's been a while since I've been in that part of the business, but it always seemed like you were waiting. You spent a lot of time waiting for, oh, I got to get the dump or I've got to get um, back information back from the sysprog and he's out to lunch or you know it was always it was always do a bunch of work and then wait and then do a bunch of work and then wait and this seems a little bit more interactive a little bit more connected right because we want to yeah nobody wants to wait around or have a customer wait when you have a sev one you don't understand the root cause it could recur again until you understand you know how to prevent it so you know the more the more we can do to engage and review the doc up front, right? The better for us, and of course, the better for the customer, because then we can hopefully <laughs> yeah. figure out that root cause and, and take action. Do, do you think that um, you'll get to the point where some of the simple stuff um, will be able to check before they build a case, or um, is are we always going to need to be involved when when they hit problems? Yeah, I know there's some, you know, Watson technology built into the CSP, which kind of can look at the symptoms and make recommendations, man. I mean, there's still, you know, so, so there's, you know, there's, there's stuff there. Whenever we close a case, right, you know, we also put in like a summary and information about what the resolution was and, uh, you know, and all this stuff is in support of, you know, one day having, like you said, you know, Watson or basically intelligence, you know, right. look at what's in the case or say, hey, this might be your problem, right? So that's, Again, something that's I'd, I'd say is in progress. Cool. At least for the <laughs> for the you know the low hanging right. ones were. Yeah, I mean, there are some things you just need a human for. Right. <laughs> right. It's never going to ultimately replace us, but it's certainly going to augment <laughs> what we do today. 
So let's let's say someone's listening to this and they're like, you know, I I would love to have a career in support. It sounds good being the one that saves the day all the time. I'm sure there's nothing but accolades. <laughs> um, is, is, is do you think support is a role that someone should um, could start out with, or is it really something you need like a variety of jobs under your belt before you could you know make the most of it? I'd say you can start out in support, and that's exactly what I did, right? I was a math major. A lot of people were computer science or information technology, but I was a math major, comp sci minor. Ever since I was a kid, I loved solving problems, you know, logic problems, puzzles. And you know, I always say when I hired, I don't want to program, right? It's, <laughs> I was never into programming, but, you know, solving problems, you know, it, it's just something, you know, you have a knack or a passion for. And again, you can make a whole career out of it like I have. So I think, you know, if somebody... You know, like solving those problems. You know, I always like to compare it to, you know, my favorite TV show from years back, House, right? You know, <laughs> at least we're not dealing with life and death of a person, right? But, right. but it's, it's, you know, I, I love the challenge, right? Because, you know, unlike some of the other disciplines, you know, like, I mean, you know, if you like more of a schedule where you can come in and you're going to do these 10 things, you're going to run these cases at these times. And if you need to stick to that plan, Right. Support's probably not the right thing because I can come in, you know, ask anybody in support. OK, I'm going <laughs> to work on these things today. End of the day comes around. I might not have touched anything on that right. list. Right. So it's very <laughs> interrupt driven, which, again, to me, that makes it more exciting, too. Right. Because right. it's not it's someone's like, isn't it boring? I'm like, no, you're never looking at the same stuff again and again. Right. There's not a lot of I'll say from my point, at least there's not a lot of rediscovery. So it, you're always <laughs> it keeps you on your toes and it's. I think it's a lot of fun. Okay, well, we're um, we're coming to the bottom of the hour here, so uh, this this has been this has been awesome. I didn't I didn't realize that you're going to come and tell me that we don't do levels anymore. That that was a that was a surprise. Um, but but I, th- this whole new tooling thing sounds really really exciting. Are there are there other stuff that you see on the horizon? Other types of new things. I mean, yeah. yes. One of the other things we're exploring again in the same vein is you know something called, for example, analysis on arrival, right? So, you know, when docs, so when, when a customer, let's say FTPs or sends doc to us, right? You know, there's certain things, tools or things we can run potentially against that doc, right? To, you know, to maybe figure out, okay, so here's a summary of what we found in the log rec or have some scripts, tools run. Again, trying to expedite some of that stuff. Um, so that's something else we're exploring. And, um, even other areas, you know, related to the incident log. So I talked about clicking the button, for example, right, to say, okay, open a case. But even other things, or maybe you have, we'll call incident-specific collection, right? So you have this type of problem. Well, if you always need such and such log or trace, then why not, you know, have, when that kind of problem happens, have that specific doc ready to send, right? So again, you're not going to go back and forth and say, oh, can you please send that to us, Right. Right. So the, the more of that automation, too, that we can do. Um, yeah, so, that, so those are a couple of other areas that we're, awesome. that we're looking at. That, that's great. I appreciate you coming down and spending time with us. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the invitation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. I, I learned a lot. Old Man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.